Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now open your word and bow before it, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would speak to our hearts both comfort and conviction, that as we hear your words and as we contemplate your truth, that we would be challenged, that we would be strengthened to do your will, that where we have erred, you would bring us back to the path of righteousness and that you, Lord, would prepare us for our own deaths. We ask, Lord, that you would do that now among your people, that your name might be glorified, that you would be shown to be the greatest treasure that we possess. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, with Pastor Jeremy being gone in New Hampshire, helping his mother get ready for her move out here, the elders thought that it would be good for our body to consider the topic of death this morning. Not only have we lost a number of our own members over the past few years, And there are also those now awaiting their death, knowing that it will be coming any day or week. But more than that, we know that unless the Lord returns, that every one of us will one day face our death. From the newborn that you hear cooing to the eldest saint in this room, Everyone in this room will one day face their own death. And we would be fools if that day came and were never prepared for it. Death is all around us. It's in our families, our neighborhoods, and our church. It's in the news. It's on our minds. We don't know how we will meet our death But unless the Lord returns, we know that we will. But the world around us is terrified of death. 
the world spends most of its life fighting, pretending, acting as though death will not come. But they know it will. And it terrifies us. So how should we as Christians, as those who hope in the return of Christ, how should we be different? How should we approach death differently so that when we come to face our death, it will not be without hope? It will not be as those around us who have no hope. We all want to die well, don't we? We all want to meet our death bravely to finish strong. No one wants to come to their end, the end of their life and say, what a waste. I've accomplished nothing. I've made no difference in this world. And yet, countless numbers say just that. If we pause to reflect on our own death, I think that we all, all want to die faithfully. We want to hold firm until the end. And we want to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a triumph if we can say that. But no one gets to that point by accident. Nobody finishes their life, dies well on accident. If we're going to die faithfully, we have to prepare now. We have to prepare ahead of time. And so this morning, I want to look at two realities about death that are going to help us prepare now to die faithfully. If we understand and if we believe and if we live these realities, then when we come to our death, we will die faithfully. And what a testimony that would be to the goodness of God, to the sufficiency of Christ. The first reality that I want to look at is that dying is a unique opportunity for worship. It's a unique opportunity for worship. We just spent time in worship this morning. But it's easy to sing those songs now. It's easy to sing those songs when everything is going well. It is far more difficult and means far more when we are facing our own death. If death, we view it as only a tragedy, if there's no hope in the death that we face, then we're just awaiting a miserable end and we can enjoy the time that we have. So how does dying present an opportunity for worship? Death is deeply painful, deeply sorrowful. So how can that be a chance for worship? We'll turn to Job chapter 1, a familiar passage. But Job demonstrates for us just that, that in deep sorrow there can be praise, there can be worship. Job just found out that all of his children were dead in a single day had been killed. He found out that he had essentially lost all of his property and the only thing remaining to him was his own body 
and his wife, who appears not to be a great comfort. But in Job chapter 1, look at verse 20. After finding out that they are all dead, that he's lost everything, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, which are definite signs of mourning and of grief, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Doesn't that give you the, the chills? To think of losing everything you have in a day and for the first words out of your mouth to be, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's taken it all away. It hurts. It's painful. But He is still good. Blessed be His name. And then also, in 1 Thessalonians 4, another passage that I think most of you are familiar with, Paul gives this short little description that I think is helpful. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The fundamental difference between our mourning for death is not the extent of the mourning. It's not the depth of the mourning. We as Christians can mourn the loss of a loved one as deeply, with as much emotion as any unbeliever. We are not Stoics. We do not pretend that it doesn't hurt that it doesn't break our hearts, that it does not bring us to our knees. There's one word of difference, and that is hope. It hurts us just as much as it hurts anyone else. Perhaps even more, because we love more tenderly. But we have hope. We know that this is not the end. We know that there will one day be a resurrection. That doesn't take the present pain away, but it keeps that present pain in perspective. Dying's a unique opportunity for worship. Let's look at two specific ways that that is true. Number one, this is A, God is glorified when dying is met with faith. God is glorified when dying is met with faith. The name of the Lord is praised. He is blessed. He is worshipped. When we face death with faith. This is the passage we read before prayer this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to look at it again. Hebrews chapter 10, 
God is glorified when our dying is met with faith. Verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Often, if not most often, death comes with hard struggles and sufferings. Does it not? It is painful. It's hurt. It, it, it hurts. It's not easy. It is a hard struggle. And there is much suffering. Verse 33, Sometimes, being publicly exposed to repro reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a possession and an abiding one. Now think, think about this. The suffering they were undergoing was specifically for being Christians. It was specifically because they named the name of Christ. But, but consider 34. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's one thing to endure the loss of property or theft of property. That makes sense, doesn't it? I can be noble, have something taken from me and just bear it. But they didn't do that. They joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How does that make any sense at all? They rejoiced in the loss of their property. And what clear application does that have as we face our own death. It is not unlike the plundering of our property. Why did they joyfully accept it? Since or because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The reason they were able to joyfully accept the plundering of their property is not because they were great and noble and learned how to suffer loss. The reason that they were able to joyfully accept it was because they knew they had something better than what was stolen. And when we are on our deathbed, knowing that our life is about to be taken, how do we joyfully accept that? It's not by grinning and bearing it. It is by knowing that what we're about to lose is a pale shadow compared to what we are about to receive. The glory of the life to come is far better and it is an abiding life. And so when we come to suffer the loss of our own life, we can accept it joyfully. That doesn't mean flippantly. That doesn't mean chipperly. Dave Lample doesn't approve of that word. <laughs> With a chipper spirit. It's not lighthearted. It is real abiding joy. It doesn't take the pain away. It keeps it in perspective. So that when we come to die, 
we can say, gain. What I am about to receive is far, far better than what I am about to leave behind. Then he goes on, for you have, verse 36, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So how is, how is death then an opportunity for worship? How is God glorified when dying is met with faith? Just follow his logic. You remember a time, brothers, when you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. And the reason you accepted it joyfully is because you knew you had something better. And now, you have need for endurance because you haven't finished. And we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. If when we come to the end, we shrink back and say, no, I want this life, no, I, I want these possessions, then what are we saying ultimately about God? He is inferior to this life. He is not superior. It is not a better possession. That possession is a worse, a lesser possession. And if you say that of God, it is not a surprise that his soul has no pleasure in you. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. How is our soul preserved in our dying? By continuing in faith. Death is like the door to heaven. Imagine that behind a door, we knew heaven was on the other side. Death is like that door. And how we approach that door demonstrates what we truly treasure. How we approach that door demonstrates what we truly treasure. When the, when the Hebrews ex, uh, came to the door of their persecution, to the door of their plundering, what was their response? They joyfully accepted it. Why? Because they believed on the other side of that door was something far, far better. But if you come to the door and say, you mean I have to give up everything I have to get through there and get that possession? I'm not so sure. If we say, I'm not really sure that I want that instead of this, what I have now, then what are we saying we treasure most? This life and the things of this life. And if that is true of us, the Lord has no pleasure in us. So if we meet our death with faith, we show that God is truly what we treasure. We show that we really do believe that we have a superior possession in heaven. Now, when do you get to demonstrate that day to day? How often can it be so plain that you believe in heaven you have a better possession and an abiding one? 
That's difficult to demonstrate day in and day out. But when you are facing your death, it becomes obvious. And so death presents to us a unique opportunity for worship. Death is also like life's final exam. You go to your final exam, you've been studying all the course, getting ready for it, and you go to that final exam, and the outcome of that test demonstrates the destination of our souls. Death is life's final exam, and the outcome of that test demonstrates the destination of our souls. Look at verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What is the destination of your soul? Where will you go when you die? Well, there's two options that are given to us in verse 39. One is that you are destroyed, and the other is that you are preserved. How do you get to the one where you're preserved? Through good works? Through a great life? Absolutely not. How do you get to being preserved? Through faith. We are those who have faith, and by that, preserve our souls. And so that, too, is a great opportunity for worship, a unique opportunity for worship, because when our dying is met with faith, we declare we know where we are going. We have hope in where we are going. We long for heaven, not for earth. A second way that God is worshipped in our dying is that God is glorified when dying is seen as gain. God is glorified when dying is seen as gain. Flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and look at verse 19. Paul was in prison at at this time, and he did not know whether or not he would be put to death or released. There was a possibility for both. He says at the end of 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This is a unique opportunity for worship. God is glorified in a way that He cannot be at other times. When we are dying, 
and view death as gain. Paul says in verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Now, let me just ask you, honestly, in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own life, if you could pick right now what you want, death or life, what would you choose? What would you choose? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would be your response? Would it be only mourning? Would it be only grief? Or would there be a sense of gain? If you could choose, which would it be? Paul says, I don't know which to choose. And his reason is totally different than the reasons we give. His reason is not because I really like my friends. Life is good. The job's going well. I've got grandkids on the way or a marriage in front of me. What's his reason? I don't know what to choose because my desire is to depart and be with Christ and that's way better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. <laughs> his reason, his answer is not because of me and my desires. His desires are clear. What's his desire? My desire is to depart. I can't wait to leave this place. I want to get out. That is far better. But the truth is, I think most of us live day by day as if this life were far better, but eventually, I guess it's necessary, we're going to have to go to the next. Paul says there's no competition, there's no question, there is no debate to depart and be with Christ is far better. Far better. And so when we watch somebody who's dying, when we look at somebody who's dying and who trusts in the Lord, we don't grieve for them. No, we don't like their suffering. We don't grieve for their death. We grieve for ourselves because we will miss them because we love them. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. I know it's more necessary for your sake that I remain. But if it was up to me, I would depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's not a close call. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Now look at the, the second, verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you know why it was far better for Paul to depart and be with Christ? Do you know why that was his great desire? Because living was Christ. He says, whether by life or by death, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. He was living his whole life in his body for the glory of Christ. So when he came to his death, what did he say? To live is Christ. To die is gain. 
But if living is not Christ for you, then what does death present? Not gain. If living is not Christ for you, you cannot say that dying is gain. The way that dying becomes gain is when we view Christ as supreme now in this life. And then when we're faced with death, what is our answer? I could live here on this earth with Christ in heaven, separated from him, though joined in the spirit. I could keep that groaning existence or I could be with him in heaven. And if living is Christ, then dying will be gain. Now, what does that tell the world around you? How does that glorify God? How does that give us a unique opportunity for worship? Every day of our lives, we're living for something. Every day of our lives, we get up for something, to do something. We value certain things. And if what we value is this world and the things of this world, then when we're faced with death, we shrink back. Please let us keep this life. But if what we value is heaven and we view all the blessings of this world as gifts from our Heavenly Father, when we're faced with death and going to be with that Father, we say, of course, you can have the gifts. I want Him. I want gain. To be with Christ is far better. Death alone, suffering alone, I think, gives us the opportunity to prove that that's what's really in our hearts. And when a saint looks at death and walks through it and is, it meets it with faith and sees dying as gain, God gets glory in an incredible way, in a way that we just can't do day in and day out. That's the first reality. Death is a unique opportunity for worship. And that's a, a, a little more foundational, a little more philosophical. Our second reality is a little more practical, a little more hands-on. Dying is a unique opportunity for ministry. Dying is a unique opportunity for ministry. First, the way that it is an opportunity for ministry is that facing death allows us to minister to others. We, we, in our death, are allowed to sanctify others. And I see at least two ways that this is true. Our dying makes the strong weak. Our dying makes the strong weak. That's number one. Let me just read uh, briefly Genesis chapter 50. You know Joseph. You know what trials he endured. You know how strong he was. You know that he was the second in command in all of Egypt. And when his father dies, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And then in verse 10, not only Joseph, but all the Egyptians went down to bury Jacob in Israel. And in verse 10 it says, When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they, the Egyptians, lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. 
the Egyptians, greatly lamenting. Death, your dying, makes the strong weak. Now consider that for a second. If you are in the hospital dying, and someone comes in to see you, what can you be pretty confident of? It's not just you that's weakened by this. The person that you're now speaking with is also weakened by it. I remember last summer with Joan in the hospital, how incredible it was to sit with her and watch guests come into the hospital room. And as soon as they walked in and saw her, they would begin to weep. And we're talking some pretty tough folks. Some bikers. <laughs> the kind that don't cry openly. But when they see what death is doing, they're weakened. Why is that important? Why is that so significant? Who needs to be ministered to? It's the weak. And so in facing your death, you know those around you are affected by your own death. Don't waste that. Don't waste your death. Because you know that those around you will be affected by it. Then take the opportunity to minister to them. And to demonstrate your faith in what is coming next. And related to that, number two, our dying makes the obstinate listen. Our dying makes the obstinate listen. Now, this isn't always true. This is a general principle. But I have noticed that people tend to keep their mouths closed when somebody else is dying. There's a sense of, I'm not here to talk I'm here to hear what this dying person has to say. And have you ever been in the hospital when someone's dying and, and the person who's dying speaks up and says something and everyone's listening? What, what, what did they say? Everyone's hanging on their words. They want to hear what they have to say. Now that's critical. To know that when you are dying, people will listen to you like they've never listened before. And it's true that sometimes that uncle, that nephew, that brother, that child who never listened to you may on your deathbed finally give you an ear. Are you going to be ready for that? Do you know what you will say? Do you know what you will tell them to sanctify them, to minister to them? Don't waste that opportunity that none of us have. The dying person can speak and be heard when nobody else will be heard. Second, facing death allows us to be sanctified. Facing death allows us to be sanctified. And I see two ways that this is true. Right now, as we all consider our death, our dying, whether or not it's imminent, even if you are a child and you expect another 60 or 70 years, Lord willing, by considering your death, two things are accomplished. A, it reminds us of our frailty. It reminds us of our frailty. 
In James chapter 4, James reminds us, we do not know whether or not we will have a tomorrow. If we say, you know what, next week I'm going to do this, and the week after I'm going to do this and this, you fool. You don't know whether or not you will have tomorrow. Who knows that? God only. And so we don't say, I will do this, or I will go here and do business. We say instead, if the Lord wills. By considering our own death, we remember, we're reminded that you and I are going to die. We are frail. We are not sovereign. We are weak. And it is only the weak who cry out for help. And so considering our death is a blessing to us. Second, it reminds us of our judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. When you die, judgment comes next. It is way too easy to live this life thinking we'll never be judged, isn't it? We can go days and weeks without ever thinking about judgment, without ever thinking about what we're doing, whether or not it really honors the Lord. But when we consider our own death, when you consider how you want to die, what are you thinking of? I think it's what comes next. Because we want to stand before our judge not ashamed of what we did. We want to stand before our judge clothed in the righteousness of Christ, trusting in His goodness. And it is so good to be reminded of our judgment. It is coming. It is coming. And we want to be prepared for it. Now, what about when our death is imminent? When our death is imminent. I, I, I think there are so many good things that the Lord has given us, even in our death. I just want to look at three of them. When our death is imminent, it, it can sanctify us. How many times have you heard the deathbed conversions? You've heard of those where people live their whole life an atheist or just hating God or they walked away, and then on their deathbed, they repent, and we praise the Lord for those repentances. Why? Why does that happen? Well, I think it's because when our death is imminent, we're we come face to face with our frailty and with our judgment. But the first benefit, the first way we're sanctified in our death, when it's around the corner, when we expect it, is we are given a chance to right past wrongs. Now, in all of our lives, there's conflict, there's disagreement, even fights. So in preparing for death, we may need to go back to people that in the past we have wronged. I, I bet, I'm, I'm guessing, almost every one of us in this room can think of somebody we wronged in the past. Someone that we um, sinned against, that we spoke harshly to, that we were rude to, that we did something sinful to. And many of us have never dealt with that. Do you know what death allows you to do? It gives you a final wake-up call. Go. Deal with it. Deal with it now. 
Imagine you're in the hospital dying and you get a phone call from someone you haven't spoken to in years. The last time you spoke with them, you had a falling out. Your disagreement was never resolved. Why are they calling you now? Because they know this is it. This is the last chance. So now's the time to resolve those issues. Now's your last chance to speak the truth into that situation. And it could come in two ways. It could be that you were the one who was wrong. Praise God, you now have an opportunity to deal with that, to confess your sin, to acknowledge what you did wrong, and to seek forgiveness. Or it may be the other way around, that you will find people have, been, have wronged you, but now in your death, they're finally willing to deal with that. Take advantage of that. Don't waste it. Second, we're given a chance to put sin to death. We're given a chance to put sin to death. Now, think about this. We all have weaknesses. All of us have struggles in our life. And when we're faced with death, we're thinking, I've only got a certain amount of time to get things right. And that is a blessing from God. So suppose that you know that you have not been spending time in God's Word the way you should. And you go to the doctor and you're diagnosed with something terminal. You know that you're going to die according to this doctor. What do you do? Now you know that you've been weak in your time with the, in the Word. You know you still need to change. But it may feel too late. You feel like, well, if I change now, I'm just a hypocrite. If I start reading the Word now, everyone will know it wasn't what I've always done and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Don't believe that lie. Do you remember the thief on the cross? I am so thankful. How much do we learn from that brother in just a few hours of life? What did he do on the cross? Do you remember? He rebuked the man next to him who was reviling Christ. And he said, we're guilty and deserve this, but this man is innocent. What did he do? He got right with the Lord. He put his sin to death. He acknowledged the wrong that he had done and dealt with it. It is not too late. And a diagnosis, an imminent death, gives you that opportunity to put sin to death. So whatever it is, whatever habit, whatever struggle you have, when you come to death, put sin to death. Live your last weeks, months, or years to the glory of Christ. Don't say, well, it's too late now. I'll be a hypocrite. No, it's not too late. God has given you another chance. In Luke 23, Jesus came, had, had uh, people come to him and say this, this uh, tower in Siloam fell and killed these people. Were they worse than everyone else because they died? And Jesus said, no, but I tell you the truth, unless you too repent, you will perish. And his answer was not anything but this, you have another chance because you're still alive. And that's the chance that God is giving us. We have another chance. We will die, but we haven't yet. And so take advantage.
Today is the day of repentance. And then last, we're given a chance to live by faith. We're given a chance to live by faith. When we face death, the simple act of living by faith, of continuing to put our trust in the Lord and in His Word, being satisfied by Him and in His goodness, we're given a chance to live by faith. And that sanctifies us and it glorifies the Lord. Everyone around us is blessed by our faith in a way that's not true day in and day out. Now look, as we look at these practical things, as we consider our own death, let's just finish with this thought. Every one of us right now and until the day we die is preparing for death. We are. Today, when we go home from church, we are preparing for death. Why? Because whatever we do, whether good or bad, is pushing us in one direction or the other. And in the end, we will die. Which way are we headed? Are we headed towards dying well? Are we headed towards dying poorly, without hope? Richard Sibbs, the Puritan theologian, said to die well is the action of the whole life. All life we spend getting ready for death. And the reason we do is because we trust that this is not the end. You and I will be raised from the dead. We will be given new bodies. We have a hope. This is not the end. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing right now with your life? If you throw your life away and you live it on your live live in it for your own pleasures, you will come to the end and you will shrink away. Don't do that. Don't waste your life. Live it now for his glory. And when you come to death, it will be gain. Let's pray as the worship team comes up for our closing song. Father in heaven, we are frail and weak. We recognize, Lord, that we have a short time on this earth, but in the moment today, it seems like we have forever. I pray that you would bring each one of us to see our frailty, show us our end, show us the reality of death that we might be ready for it. I pray, Lord, that our hope would be in the life to come, that our desires would be for you and your presence and your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that whatever idols are in our lives and hearts today, whatever things we treasure more than you, you would help us to put aside, to put away, so that when we come to die, we can say with Paul, that is very much better, to die is gain. And may your name be glorified as we do that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.